and we're alone. <laughs> it's all right. Hey, y'all, welcome to Cross Politic Midweek Fix. Pastor Toby is not here. Not here. <laughs> Chuck Knox and I'm the water boy. We also have Dr. Scott Atlas. I'm excited about this. Coming on. Yes, sir. He's got the inside yep. info, man. A plague upon our house. Yeah. What? This is like Genesis? Well, Exodus? It, well, it seems like Exodus, but I yeah. don't want to be Egypt. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you guys share the show. It's good to be with you. This ad is for our friends that are at Carpe Fide Podcast. The heart of Carpe Fide is rooted in faith, family, and facial hair. I, I qualify. Jesse and Justin both serve as elders in their local church and have a passion to equip the saints and help them in whatever way that they possibly can. Founded in 2020 in the heart of the pandemic. A great year to find the, <laughs> business. Be, yeah, yeah, and found a church too. Yeah. The two brothers watched as the world radically changed around them. They saw that the world was scared and Christians were faltering and leaders abandoning their call. This is why Carpe Fide sees the faith is such an important motto to them. They realize that Christians must grab their shields, take up their swords and stand firm in the faith to learn about their podcast. Visit them carpefide.com. That's C A R P E F I D E.com. Without further ado, let's, let's get right into this. Let's introduce our guest, Dr. Scott Atlas, MDs, the Robert Wesson Senior Fellow in Healthcare Policy at the Hoover Institute. I love the Hoover Institute. Dr. Atlas in investigates the impacts of government and the private sector on access, quality, pricing, and innovation in healthcare, and is a frequent policy advisor to government and industry leaders in these areas, and I don't think they're listening to him. During the <laughs> 2008, 2012, 2016 presidential campaigns, ooh, he was a senior advisor for healthcare to a number of candidates for president of the United States. He has also advised several members of the United States Senate and House of Representatives. Are they listening? And testified to Congress on healthcare reform. Are they listening? Uh, exactly. <laughs> he served the nation from August to December 2020 as special advisor to the president and a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, and he's still alive. <laughs> he has received all sorts of awards for his work in medicine. Too many to list here. Um, Dr. Atlas received his BS degree in biology from University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign and an MD degree from University of Chicago School of Medicine. Uh, and he is the author, which is why we have him here, uh, on a, a Plague Upon Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America. Dr. Atlas, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So uh, reading your book um, kind of just made me angry. Made us for, all a little upset, actually. Yeah, a little, little, little angry here. And at first, because the task force, uh, the way you described it, their kind of rejection of reason and logic, not even just basic science, but just like reason and logic. And secondly, their cowardice displayed by kind of Mike Pence and some of the leadership who should have known better. Um, can you connect? just start here and connect the dots for our listeners regarding that? Well, you know, uh, I came there as an outsider. I was asked by the president, by the White House, to uh, help president of my country. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I was a uh, healthcare policy scholar, I had been doing that for 15 plus years, 10 years full time. Right. And beyond, uh, before that, I had a 25 year history of being in academic medicine, clinical research, and education. And uh, so I said, of course, yes, I will help because people were dying. Yeah. The, the policy that was being followed that was recommended by Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, who was the head of the task force, 
was implemented throughout the country, almost without exception. It was failing to stop the spread of the infection. It failed to stop people from dying who were identified as high risk. And it was destroying particularly low-income families uh, and our children. And so I said, yes, I will help. And so when I went, I was very different from everyone else. When I sat on the task force meetings, I was shocked at what I saw. The medical side of the task force, doctors Burks, Fauci, and Redfield, were basically government bureaucrats. They had been in their positions for 35, 40 years in government positions. Okay, to do that means you're a different kind of person than I am. I came in uh, as a health policy person, so I came in to meetings with stacks of published papers, with the data. I went through and critiqued the studies that were done. I looked at study design and said, well, wait a second, this study design was wrong. Therefore, the conclusions are not valid. I was never met with a similar scientific response. I was never met with a critique of the studies. They never once, in my view, brought in a scientific paper to the meetings. I was met with accusations about being an outlier. These are people that have succeeded in their positions because they were not politically neutral, but because they were politically savvy. They navigated a highly politicized environment. They navigated it through their friends and agencies, through their friends in the media, and they covered for each other and were, you know, frankly, uh, concerned about their own position. So uh, I was naive. Okay, I mm. I thought, okay, the information's important. I'm not just going to give the data. I brought in experts from all over the country. I brought in the people who were the high level scientists from UCLA, from Stanford, from Harvard, from Tufts University, infectious disease experts, uh, virology experts, epidemiologists to speak and answer the president's questions. What, what What was I met with? I was met with Dr. Burks refusing to come to the meeting, even though we specifically scheduled the meeting so she could come. Wow. Now, why would somebody refuse to come to the meeting? I mean, you could guess at that, uh, but the meeting was scheduled so that people would have an interchange of answering the questions from the president of the United States, from the vice president of the United States, with knowledge. And if you're insecure about your own knowledge and you, your reaction is refusal to defend your own positions, you're not fit to be at the table, frankly. Right. Uh, you know, and then what happened was Dr. Burks uh, went to the media and said there was, quote, parallel pathways of information coming to the president that didn't go through her. Thank God for that. My job was to give information to the president. The American people should be thrilled that other experts who are actually doing the pandemic research were coming in and talking to the president, answering his questions, answering the questions of the vice president. My job was not to filter information. My job was to provide information to the best of my ability, because again, the policies that Dr. Burks and Fauci recommended were actually implemented. They got what they wanted by the governors following what they wanted, and they were killing people, destroying people, destroying families, and sacrificing our children. I just want want to jump to this. Did... Um, why didn't uh, Trump fire Dr. Burks and Burks and Fauci? Like to me, that's one of the most obvious things that should have happened in all this. And even back in 2020, we did when 2020 happened. We started. We do a show twice a week. Um, we started doing yeah. a show every day in the shutdown because uh, information was being stifled. People, nobody yep. was in opposition to the narrative that was going forth. And so, like two months into this, I was of the belief that man, we need to get rid of Fauci and Dr. Burks <laughs> almost like, from jump. Almost from jump. 
Well, you know, I, it's hard to answer the question why I don't want to, I, I don't really know people's motives, although I, I do say this, Burks and Fauci were in charge of the pandemic response for six months, five, six months before I even walked into right. Washington. Right. When uh -huh. I got there, the policy had been in place. They were entrenched. In fact, they had commandeered the policy. The president uh, was saying different things. The president was saying the lockdowns are harmful. School closures are destructive. Let's open up things safely. Even before I got there, it was very common sense. In fact, it's logical yeah. when we know who's at risk to protect the people who are at risk and not destroy everyone else. And so uh, it's hard to say why they weren't fired. I mean, Redfield is an appointed position as head of the CDC. Fauci has his own position, but he was the most visible person on the media. And Burks was in, appointed as task force coordinator. I got the feeling through conversations with others at the, in the White House, as I, I articulated in my book several times, I was told, we have an election coming up. Don't rock the boat. And my answer was always the boat is capsized. Okay. <laughs> yep. I'm not, I'm not, I, and you know, frankly, I didn't care about rocking the boat. People were dying. Yeah. Okay. It's not political. I, I didn't have any motivation other than stop people from dying. Yeah. That's the point. Okay. And you know, I'm again, I'm not a politician. I didn't go there to make friends. Uh, I didn't go there to make enemies, uh, but I didn't go there to make friends. I went there to do the best job I could because it's my country. You know, Doc, help me with this because, you know, there, man, you just made me ask a whole bunch of questions in my head with that answer that you just gave. Uh, one of them is, you know, maybe you've answered in that they didn't want to um, damage any sort of uh, future plans with the election so the president can get back in office. But I'm trying to figure out how Fauci and Burks got what they wanted over you getting you're coming in six months later, bringing in new information, new content to the situation. Nobody seems to really be challenging your facts. How come that wasn't like a huge switch that you didn't get what you wanted and implemented in? It was like, well, this is better data. Here goes the data that nobody's talking about. You know, I don't understand, especially if the president's the one who's implementing this. And bringing you on. And bringing you yeah. on. He's asking for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how is it right. that you didn't just rise to the top and say, we're done with this? Well, I mean, it's a little bit more complicated that people don't understand. The federal okay. role is not uh, the actual on-the-ground policies. The federal role is to give the guidance. The governors in our system, they demanded and they got, and it was appropriate to have them get the control of their own state. So uh, they, you know, Dr. Burks personally wrote, by the way, all the guidance from the task force to every single state. She wrote it. Wow. She wrote and visited dozens of states with or without the vice president. I visited one single state, Florida, during my time in Washington. <laughs> they did something very different. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the governors decide what to implement. The federal role on the logistical side, on Operation Warp Speed, on developing drugs and uh, vaccines, on supplying medical equipment, on supplying personal protective equipment, on supplying money. That was all done, and that was done fairly well after a sort of a sort of a disastrous start at the testing that was preceding my my time there by several months. But eventually, they had developed a large testing apparatus. But the medical guidance was simply that guidance. The CDC is supposed to give just guidance. They're not supposed to set policy, but that guidance that was implemented all over the country was the Burks Fauci guidance. Mm. So it's true, by the way, people, this is sort of a got lost in the media attacks of being a political year, but the president was giving the message, 
of stop the lockdown, open the schools, right. protect the high risk people for months before I came there. And that was the common sense policy. On the other hand, the official White House policy was that coming out of the White House task force. And that was very different. So mm. uh, it was chaotic. And in fact, that that discordance, that chaos, in my view, was very harmful in and of itself, because that that instigated fear in the people. And when people are afraid and the American public is still afraid and, and, yeah. and at this point, psychologically damaged, and I can go through how I know that. Yeah. But uh, for months uh, the chaos of the White House, the media piling on saying the president isn't listening to the scientists and all this, the discordance of messaging to the to the people was harmful because when you are afraid, you act irrationally. Yep. Everyone would. That's what fear does. And unfortunately, the lack of critical critical thinking, the lack of uh, sort of uh, reassuring the public about what we knew instead of what we don't know was that was simply abrogated. That never occurred from Drs. Fauci and Burks. We know a lot. We know a lot about decades of virology research. Yes. This is medical school 101, That's if right. there is such a thing. Right. This is actually high school AP biology, some of this <laughs> stuff. And uh, unfortunately, the people who were in charge were both incompetent on unprepared and frankly the wrong people to be in charge and it's it's very sad that they were delegated such authority so that, that i want to i want to i really want to know you said you you can prove that we're psychologically damaged how do you what do you point to to get that kind of information i'm intrigued by that well sure i mean you know uh, you don't have to live in California where I do to see the psychological damage because these people are irrational. But uh, there's data on this. What is the data? Okay, the younger generation particularly was severely harmed, and it will take decades, if ever, to unwrap that harm from them. Why do I say that? Okay, well, first of all, we knew back in June 2020 that one in, this is June 2020, just after the first three months of the lockdown and the isolation, one in four college age kids thought of killing himself. Mm -hmm. Okay, there was an explosion of depressive disorder, of uh, anxiety disorder in young people, teenagers in the United States. There was a significant increase in suicide attempts by teenage girls during the isolation of the 2020 lockdowns. There was a tripling, three-time fold, the number of medical visits to doctors for self-harm by teenagers during 2020 lockdowns. What does that mean? That means kids putting out cigarettes on their arm, slashing their wrists. Okay, this is very graphic and it's sad to say it that way, but these are people. That's right. Okay, we had an explosion of substance abuse by teenagers. Uh, we have an explosion of opioid abuse. We had, by the way, 52% uh, of college-age Americans during 2020, more than half, had an unwanted weight gain, and that averaged 28 pounds. Okay, wow. this is a public health emergency. Wow. We have more than half, 50% of college-age kids in the U.S. answered a survey question that they are afraid of all social interaction. Mm. Okay, this is not trivial. These statistics are never stated. In fact, by the way, when I was in the White House, I was the only one talking about the damages of the lockdowns, the damages of the policy. Instead, what we saw was a singular focus, an irrational focus, 
and, and actually a sinful focus on simply eradicating COVID-19 at all costs. That is the absolute opposite of what a legitimate public health expert does, because public health means all health, all people. It doesn't mean just one infection. So this was a, a heinous abuse wow. of our younger people and uh, abuse by the public health leadership in the United States. I'm bringing up the data. I think in um, 2021 here in Idaho, there was an 85% increase in sexual assault reports in Idaho. In Idaho, an wow. 85% increase in 2021. There's hardly anybody here. <laughs> we live in Idaho. That's why, so, that's why I bring that up. Okay, yeah. It's, it, it's just unbelievable what that did to, to, to Idaho. Um, that still kind of brings me back to the tension between Trump knew the logic and the reasonable approach to take, and yet Dr. Burks and Fauci were contradicting him in that why would he let that persist for six months i mean we know he was he was the the tv host that would fire everybody he knows how to fire people yes he does um well you know i, I again uh i don't know i can't you know I, I i didn't ask him why doesn't he fire these people yeah. uh, <laughs> it was so obvious i it was too obvious to ask yeah. But I can tell you that I was constantly being told by others, not by the president, by others, that I, I should not uh, speak up. I should not go to the media. I have to watch what I say. Uh, don't rock the boat. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it was harmful to the country. I mean, we, we can conclude that without speculating yeah. that when we have people who are incompetent, who are delegated that sort of authority. We see what happened. I mean, it's proven that the lockdowns of Burke's Fauci failed to stop the infection spread. It's proven yeah. that they destroyed people. It's proven that they failed to stop people from dying. And, uh, but we knew it then. And, uh, you know, it, it's very sad. I, I don't know how to answer no, the question yeah. because I was yeah. not, I was not in charge of anything as we all know. You know, Doc, one of the things that I've, when I opened up your book, and first of all, I got to tell you, man, reading the opening of how you were brought up and how you were raised and your parents and how they raised you, and the, it's just, it reminded me of the kind of people that built New York. You know what I mean? Those kind of founded, grounded people. And I was like, I identify with this guy. He's a man's man. He's going to tell the truth and he's going to live and die off of that principle. Doesn't seem like there were a whole lot of people that were there <laughs> with you in, on that ground. And so yeah. I appreciate you being there for one, but it has to be absolutely confounding and dumbfounding to be able to, to bring facts into a situation evidence and data into a situation and not have anybody really um pay any attention to it to even investigate it so so when you look at you know the title of your book a plague upon our our house it doesn't seem like the plague has to do with covid <laughs> what's there's a bigger well, plague there what's the plague there's a Yes, well, there's there's a bigger plague. I mean, we don't want to, and I am never going to underestimate that so many people died from COVID. There's yeah. no question that happened. Um, but the the real problem, the bigger problem, was the mismanagement uh, of the pandemic, unprecedented use of severe draconian lockdowns that, by the way, have never been used in yeah. the previous century of pandemics. Right. This was this was a, a, yep. a complete error, 
But also, uh, even in May of 2020, I wrote a paper with other people at other institutions, including University of Chicago economist John Burge, uh, Ralph Keeney, uh, emeritus professor at Duke, and Alex Lipton, uh, a, a brilliant mathematician and computer scientist, on how the actual harms of the lockdown by May of 2020 had already doubled the harms in life years lost from the virus. It wasn't Stop. new. It's not learned over the last year or six months. This was known. It was not uh, something that had to be discovered last month or right. this month from the right. Johns Hopkins paper. Uh, but uh, so it was extremely frustrating. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a tragedy, frankly. It's, it's a tragedy. The plague that we're left with once COVID, once people recognize that the pandemic is essentially winding down, uh, once we recognize what we're left with, we have a problem. And the problems, as I alluded to in the, pay, in the book, are, are really a disintegration of trust That's and a mean. complete lack of substance in the institutions we depend upon most yep. To uh, you know, to to advance the truth in in a free society. Your your book was a perfect um, parallel to what's going on behind the curtain as we're experiencing what's going on out in the rest of the world. <laughs> you, you're seeing what's going on in behind the curtain, you know. I, and me and Gabe were talking about how we're seeing Trump catch. COVID and we're and you're explaining what's going on behind what you're working on the, the your team have just pushed for the panel you're working on yeah. and it's kind of these things that are getting subverted you know in one way or another but my question though with being able to be behind the curtain and see all this take place what are some of the things that you walked away with that you learned in the end of the day with all of this? Because I think that I don't think this is over yet. I think we're still in the first half of this game and we got to figure out some ways to respond to this mess that we're in. Well, I mean, I learned, of course, several things. Uh, I mean, some of them are very simple. One is that we, we absolutely have a media that that is completely untrustworthy, that, mm. that does not work for the public good and i'm making a generalization here knowingly the vast majority of the people in the media have their own uh, agenda they distort what's said they don't just distort they make up things i never understood this before i went and this is very harmful because we in america rely on journalism That's right. to sort of you know investigate the truth they're supposed to be unbiased they're supposed to be truth seekers that's just not true and that's very dangerous yeah the second thing we that i learned was that people in government are uh, many of them are grossly incompetent and what i mean by that is when you have a bureaucrat pretending to be the nation's top infectious disease scientist as as they as some of them have been decreed uh, or declaring himself as, quote, the science, yep. okay? This is not just uh, shocking and uh, really, I mean, I've never worked with people this low level in my entire career. Mm. Now, admittedly, I've worked for decades in some of the, the finest academic medical centers in the country, University of Pennsylvania, Stanford University, yeah. uh, et cetera, but this is shocking. We cannot have incompetent people rise to the top because they are able to navigate a political bureaucracy and somehow head agencies. We need to involve outside people when things are tough. You know, and, and so, some of the other things I learned, unfortunately, I mean, I learned two things about American people. 
I, I, I like to say this. Uh, the two things that shocked me the most were the incredible power of the United States government to simply decree shutting down schools, businesses, your personal yeah. life, stopping you from seeing your elderly parents, yes. yeah. limiting your personal movements. I never envisioned this was possible in a free society like ours. But the thing that really uh, was very uh, eye-opening was the acquiescence of the American people to these edicts, many of which were arbitrary and wholly unscientific. Now, that's a very negative lesson about people. Partly it was fear, but I, I frankly, I don't, I, don't, I don't buy into the fear anymore. We've been at this for two years. Okay, <laughs> yeah, you got to be yeah. an adult. You got to think up yourself to make the best decisions for your family. But I will say this is a positive thing. What drove me, even though I was being pilloried or whatever, the press didn't understand and the politically minded world of Washington didn't understand that no matter what they said, I wasn't going to stop because I had thousands of emails sometimes thousands per day from all over the country and indeed outside the U.S. praying for me, mm. begging me to keep going. Pastors, uh, you know, bus drivers, parents, mothers, fathers, grandparents, uh, high school students begging me to keep going. People depend on truth tellers. I, I'm mm. not trying to pat myself on the back, but at some point you have to stand up for the truth. And, you know, it's just too important. Um, and when you realize so many people are depending on you, your motivation supersedes any mm -hmm. kind of okay right. trivial political attack. These people in the in journalism, okay, a lot of them are frankly idiots. Uh, they don't know anything. They're there to I don't know to antagonize you, to make you look bad, to investigate you. I mean, this kind of stuff was done uh, from day one when I was visible that I was there. But I had a I had a much more important you know a motivator. That's mm. just, you know, is it, we people uh, that are interested in the truth, they're not going to stop by, by that kind of personal attack. Mm. Dr. Atlas, we appreciate you, man. Reading your book is good to know there was a champion in there for us. And, a plague upon our uh, house. Yeah, my fight at the Trump White House to stop COVID from destroying America, and America is not completely gone yet. Everybody needs a copy of this book so they don't never forget what we just exactly. got done going through and what was happening in the highest place in the nation. Dr. Atlas, thank you so much for joining us here on Cross Politic. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them until Sunday. <laughs> Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself go fight laugh and feast this is cross politics amen